Hello, everybody. Good afternoon and welcome to another collective session in partnership with Great Hotels of the World and Guest Centric. Uh, we have some great guests joining us today. Uh, first of all, we have Mr. Gavin Eccles. Hello, Gavin. How are you? It's lovely to see you. Hi, Andre. Good afternoon, everybody. Good morning. Hope everybody's well. you on the show. Thanks Thank for joining you. us. We also have, as usual, Mr. Pedro Calaco, who's from Guest Centric and Great Hotels hey, of the World. How are you, Pedro? Very good. Very good. Excellent. Hanging in Great there, energy. I guess. <laughs> Very yeah, good. That's all we can do, of, isn't it? The context that we're in is probably not right, quite accurate. Exactly. But, uh, very excited exactly. about sharing data with, uh, with the audience. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you, Pedro. So, uh, Gavin, just a quick intro. You are a management consultant and you're also a pro professor of aviation at Lusofono University in Portugal, correct? Exactly. Yes, yes. Excellent. So we're here to talk about, uh, obviously, the Hotelier Pulse report and the data from last month. And we're going to try and link that back to the aviation industry and how the two are, are related to each other. So, uh, Pedro, uh, you, in terms of your report, how, how have you found the, uh, the findings from, from last month compared to previous months? Uh, are things dramatically changing? Is there a, 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 a major shift or are things pretty much as you would have expected and pretty consistent? So uh, unfortunately, they're as we expected, i.e. the sentiment has degraded quite significantly in January. Uh, as we were expecting, you know, the big um, spike in reservations that typically happens in, in, in January. So actually, you know, there's the, the bottom of reservations at the end of, the, of December and the top mm -hmm. of reservations is the beginning of January. And that obviously has not happened. And actually, we've seen a degradation actually in, at the pace of reservation. So, yeah. so yeah. we are uh, deep in the third wave, second uh, lockdown, a much more permanent lockdown than the original one. And that's uh, driving, you know, some short-term thinking, I think, from, from hoteliers and, uh, and really some pessimism. I think there's some good news that we can share, obviously, in terms of, uh, of the, the plans that the UK is putting up, that Germany is also now uh, starting to talk about uh, getting out of the lockdown and how, how to get out of the lockdown. But overall, the, the, the hoteliers are pretty pessimistic. Yeah, yeah. Also, just one other uh, comment for uh, for everybody in the audience, for the hoteliers especially, we do encourage you to share feedback uh, in terms from the latest Hotelier Pulse survey that we've shared, and the link will be in the chat window. Leia will share that in the chat window with you all, and you'll also then receive the 12th uh, edition for, for next month. So uh, please also for next month, uh, feel free to contribute to that survey because, as always, the more data that we get, then the more rich these reports can be and the more feedback that we can then give back to everybody as well. Absolutely. Okay, so... With all of that said, uh, I'd like to start off perhaps with the first question uh, for, for Gavin. You know, uh, Gavin, typically January is a month with high volumes of bookings uh, for later in the year within the hospitality industry, yet booked nights in January 2021 have just been 21% of bookings over the same period from, from last year, from 2020. So um, in your opinion, how has the current uncertainty around air travel played a role in this, do you feel? Well, of course, it's, um, we're, we're, our industry is running parallel with the hotel industry. We, we're suffering miserably. Um, I'll show you a couple of things, if you don't mind, Andre. I think it's an interesting way just to highlight what's happening now, particularly February and March, and what impact yeah, that please. might have. Um, if we look at, uh, let me bring up a little heat map. 
that um, helps to show where are we at the moment in, in February. So if we look back, hopefully you can see this. If you look back, February, for most of us who are not in the Chinese market, we were still traveling. And so if, you, if we compare the airline industry now with February of 2020, as you can see, the green, there are two, two that are not red. One is Yemen, which obviously has a no-fly embargo. So you would not expect any change because you're not allowed in or out of the country. But then obviously with China, China was deep in what they thought was their lockdown back in February of 20. And so obviously they're a little bit of a bellwether that one year on, they're booming. And, and of course, in the last, last week, there has been some uh, um, less travel during their, their holiday season, but it was still a significant amount of business. So what this is showing is mirroring what you're saying with the hotels. We, we, we're... We don't have the capacity in the market because the markets are not open. So where you might have some little pockets of travel, it's mainly India and it's mainly the United States and it's mainly Russia. Why those three? Because of domestic markets. Um, if, if we look a little bit ahead, whilst, whilst I have, and it, it, it comes exactly what, what, what Pedro's report would be showing on hotel bookings. This is a snapshot of the, if we go back to the start of the year, what airlines were putting in place between now and the end of, of what we call our winter season, so through to the end of March. If you look back, we had about 80 million seats potentially planned by March 21, back in January. If we mirror that each week, what you're seeing here with the, the yellow lines is what airlines are reacting to as the demand is not coming into the market. They're cutting their capacity. So on the 15th of February, we had around 20 million less seats in the system than we would have had back in January. So each week at the moment, we're taking more and more seats out because the demand is not coming through whilst borders are closed. I say, unless you're flying US, China or Russia, it's impossible for airlines to be building up their capacity. So just to, just, just to highlight that, yes, we're in the first half of, of a real concern. Throwing that to the next half of this year, so from, let's say, June onwards, and particularly we'll come on to what the UK announced two days ago, there is talk that we could, by the end of 2021, have around 50% of the capacity back of 2019, or we could only have 13%. Why do we have this variance? We just don't know what might now happen. Will borders reopen? How will vaccine rollouts continue? And how do we put confidence back in for people to travel? Before I hand back to both of you, we don't have a problem with the supply. Airlines are ready. Planes are there. Where we have at the moment is a problem with the demand. So, what, what was highlighted by Pedro is, yes, hotels are mirroring airlines. Nobody's making this leap of faith at the moment to start booking because they don't know what might be available. But come summer, we hope that the airlines will put the systems, the, the flights will come back into the system and maybe we can start thinking again about travel. Okay, great. Pedro, in terms of the data that you have with this slide here, is, is this something that you uh, well, could actually also add comment, comment to based on Kevin's, uh, Gavin's feedback? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, um, I think uh, there's, uh, I'll, I'll show this slide and I'll show another slide that shows international versus, versus uh, 
versus domestic uh, travel expectations from hoteliers. But really what we saw was obviously a very, a very quick shutdown um, through uh, or, or a very quick shutdown uh, early in April where over 90% of all hotels were were closed out, right? Then we had sort of a relatively um, uh, rapid easing uh, in terms of uh, from July through October, less and less hotels were shut down. Uh, more and more hotels were open, obviously with major restrictions, but more and more hotels were open. And now in the second wave, the second lockdown, uh, what we're seeing is um, obviously more hotels going into shutdown. And really from the feedback that we have from our customers is that they're all in sort of an, a wait and see uh, attitude, just like just like um, uh, Gavin was, was saying, right? I think the other interesting data uh, point that, that sort of maps to, to what Gavin is saying is this, right? Um, when we ask our hoteliers, what segment do you think will be the first contributor to recovery? We've seen really a degradation here in terms of uh, the sentiment regarding international travel and, and also regarding business travel. So, so, so international is a significant component of the, of, the, um, of the recovery, people say, right? About 30% of the recovery should come from international, but actually, especially as it relates to business, it's very, very much uh, in the doldrums right now. So I think it maps to what Gavin is saying. And, and I, do, I don't know, Gavin, if you have a comment on that, um, on on business versus leisure, uh, but a, a lot of the data that we're seeing, at least in the market space right now, regarding airlines, regarding you know testing and so on, it's all about leisure travel. And even the 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 the, the spike that we've seen in the UK in the last few days has been related to holidays. It's it's not been related to business travel. No, I think you know what what uh, what what if we look at what happened back in um, September was a good good example because who was able to pick up quickly were the low-cost airlines, particularly here in Europe, um, Ryanair, EasyJet, Wizz Air. Why? Because they were working point-to-point models. So if I'm if I know I'm flying London, London, Lisbon, London, Faro, if my planes are ready, the demand is there. If the UK is open, if the Portugal market is open, we can go in backwards and forwards. So what you're now seeing is that mirroring as what happened two days ago. This morning, EasyJet have just said that their, their bookings are 300% up on last week. EasyJet holidays have said they're up 600% on last week. Now, you can imagine last week's bookings were virtually zero relative to where we are, but all of a sudden, a little bit of positivity, a little bit of confidence, the market is booming. The amount of pent-up demand for leisure, it's huge, for sure. So leisure travel, yes. Holidays, you know, if we're thinking about when will travel come back, likely to be June, July, August, here in the Northern Hemisphere, time when obviously we're on holiday. So it, 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 it's obvious that leisure will come back when the because we're going into summer holidays. What might then happen September, October, November for your hoteliers, of course, the next wave then, hopefully that, you know, it's, that's where we've got to reactivate demand to think about travel for business purposes. Holidays will be there because it's summer. The worry I think for airlines quickly is we've got to have a summer because we've lost yeah. last summer. Winter well, the same for hoteliers, right? Yeah, exactly so the same thing. Really right? has, we've really got to get something back in place in the summer to get this to get something back in the system. 
And and you know, just taking this maybe to uh, to the next sort of. I don't know if you want to, Andre. Sorry, I I, I no no no. Please go ahead, that. Pedro. No, I have uh, another but, question, but it's it's okay. Please go ahead. So so basically, I think this is also showing now in the reservations in our central reservation system, right? Where we're seeing in 2021, obviously there's only like 60 days in 2021, but 52 percent of all the nights booked are domestic bookings, right? Mm. And this is really uh, far more than we've ever seen in our system, right? Even going back to 2015, it was 40%, it was 60% international, 40% domestic. And now we're at 50% domestic. So it's really sort of a complete turnaround in terms of the booking patterns. And it has to be with, it has to do with lockdown travel restrictions and lack of air capacity, right? Even though the, the air capacity is there, it's just not flying, right? Yeah, of course. It's, it's as I said. It if if you if you look at what happened um, during this you know this last six months, where a lot of airlines have have restructured, what we've lost is is what we call the 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 large uh, wide body aircraft. So the A three eighty and the A three forty six hundred. So the old aircraft are going out. So. When, when, when you look now at the big airlines, you know, the Americans, United, the Lufthansa, the BAs of the world, how much, how much of their fleet they've actually lost relative to the total fleet that we had in 2019, it's around 10%. The question okay. is, is that what you then got to think about is where that's lost, what will it be replaced by? theoretically more fuel efficient aircraft with less seats so the whole project of aviation is changing less is more so the big planes are, the big planes are going out planes will be smaller but can fly longer so that then has an effect that the supply can come back as we said it's getting the supply back into the system as quick as the demand is asking because what we've seen in this in this in this year of 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 challenge is that we we have tried and airlines have put capacity in, but the load factor was a disaster, meaning that people were not traveling. So airlines were flying planes with 20, 30 percent, 20, 30 percent of the seats occupied. Generally, we have about 85 percent load factor. The year end of 2020 was about 60 percent. So we lost 25 percentage points in load factor. So even then, when we were flying, there wasn't that many people demanding to travel. So, it, you know, it's kind of the airline, we, we lost about 29% of capacity in the whole year, but we lost 60% of passengers. So you can see, you know, it's a lot more, it's more, more, more challenging for airlines than it has been for hotels because hotels can close, airlines can't close. So airlines have been <laughs> trying to fly, but haven't been able to get passengers because borders haven't been open. And that's one of the biggest worries for us is, is, you know, when we talk about cash burn, and this is a buzzword in aviation, cash burn, I've still got to pay the owner of the aircraft. You know, most airlines are not owned well, by the airlines. Some hoteliers would argue they still have to pay owners for the hotels too. Okay, so the lesser <laughs> model in your industry is the biggest life. Just on that though, Gavin, how soon can hotels expect air travel to return to pre-COVID levels in your opinion, based on everything that we just discussed there? Do you mind? Let me then let me then bring up. A, I have another Please. slide that, that you know. I'll, I'll use, I mean, I'm, I'm. This is probably the one that's most being used. Um, it's an IATA's prediction. So, if we look at the top, the top blue line, RPKs are what we call revenue passenger kilometers. It's our technical term in aviation. It means how many passengers flew and how much how much 
money were we making? Theoretically, we were running at about 5% growth year on year. So the top blue line was predicting that we would continue to grow each year between now 2019 and 2024. Obviously, what you can see here is this dramatic fall in 2020. And now, you know, where are we going? V curves, U curves, Nike swoosh curves, everything <laughs> that IATA has been saying. We're at this kind of period now where most people are saying 2024 will be back to the same level as 2019. But if you think about it, that's not growing. So when we go back to 2019, that's not accounting for the last four years or the next four years, we'll have zero growth. So we're going back to a new forecast, which is a 2019 forecast, hopefully mm -hmm. by the next three years. So thinking okay. of trying to get 50% back this part and then the next 50% between 22, 23 is kind of what people are starting to look at. But again, it's this range of uncertainty. But it feels, uh, you know, there's a little bit of optimism by what was being said by the UK that if, if it's right that by the middle of June things can go back to normal, why can't we get this back quicker? You know, that, mm. that should be the reality. It's how do we get business back working so hopefully um, this kind of gives you a, you know, 2024 is the kind of holy grail, but I mm. think we could be before that. Yeah, I think consumer confidence has an enormous amount to do with that, as well as the, the vaccinations. Um, okay, there's a question here from um, uh, Uaho, um, and he's asking, Gavin, how many airline companies do you think will survive uh, this now almost a year without flights, and how will that affect the prices? Well, it's a kind of... Two, two schools of thought here. I mean, you know, airlines didn't go bankrupt in 2020. Why? Because of bailouts. And most of the owners of aircraft, the lessers, as we call them in our industry, everything was renegotiated. So we ended up with a period of everybody's got through 2020. And now the joke is, you know, if you thought 2020 was bad, wait for 2021. This could be the year of major mergers, acquisitions, etc. Saying that, you know, there are some caveats now because some of these airlines have got state aid or government aid. And that then means that you cannot acquire another airline if your shareholder is now also your government. So there's kind of a little bit of a not we're not sure how many will will survive, how many will will not survive. The question is what models will be important. And that's why I highlighted before, you know, the low cost model versus the legacy model which can be quicker in, in getting back and helping to restore that confidence that people can travel. So I think it's, it's kind of wait and see. There are some airlines that are slightly vulnerable. And, there, you know, if you look at the share prices at the moment, who's winning or where the markets are saying, it's the low costs. So if you think of in, 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 in Europe, share prices of Ryanair, Wizz Air are booming. Spirit Airlines in the US, Frontier, Legiant, Spring Airlines in China. These are the airlines that people are backing, and it's the airlines like British Airways, Air France, KLM, that are suffering because mm. their model is the world needs to be open for the connecting system, whereas the low-cost model, as long as two countries are open, they can travel. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I was watching an interview with um, the CEO from Qantas uh, just the other day, and he was saying that even despite the, the current situation, of course, international travel for them has been impacted severely, but their domestic routes, they've still been actually hitting 60% of their usual uh, routes on domestic travel in Australia. Um, obviously, the, the virus there has been reduced. Uh, it hasn't been as perhaps bad as others because of the severe lockdowns that they incurred. But when they were open, they actually did all right. And plus, the competition went into bankruptcy. Um, but they they were they had a positive outlook in terms of their domestic market for sure. But he he also said that uh, the international market he wouldn't expect that to bounce back until at least twenty three twenty four. From from terms of pre pre COVID, I don't know. I think it's yeah. it's how, as you say, how we can get the demand. That there's a lot of operational differences in the next. You know, the airlines are were 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 ready. There's a, there's there's some some very interesting uh, changes of of hardware. So we're I mentioned before the bigger airlines, the bigger manufacturing aircraft are going out. We're getting replaced with 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 great work on the A350. The A350 can go up to 17 hours, very fuel efficient. And one of the real game-changing strategies of aviation is this what we call single-aisle long-haul aircraft. So the A321 um, long-range and ultra-long-range, and now the Boeing MAX 10, which is now will start flying. This is an aircraft that can go 7 to 13 hours, and it can open city pairs that you would do with 160 seats. So, for instance, I could do here in Portugal, I could do New York, Faro, Faro's in the Algarve. I wouldn't fly that with an A330 because it would have 300 seats. There's too much demand. But I can do it with a 160-seat aircraft, which is going to be 30% fuel efficient than, than an A330. So... This is game changing. So from a destination and a hotel's point of view, some of the changes in our hardware are actually very opportunistic. We don't need A380s. Obviously, Emirates is the number one airline that has that project. And even they're talking about starting to replace their A380s with A350s and 777s because we don't want huge amounts of seats. So, so, Gavin, if I may ask, because obviously for hotels, I think um, the most important thing are there's, I guess, two big segments, right? There's city center hotels and there's resorts, right? And and obviously city centers are suffering a lot more because typically it's a lot more international travelers that come to city centers and resorts are doing sort of did reasonably okay last summer. But if you're discussing now that actually most routes are going to move point to point, does that mean now that secondary cities can look at a sort of a, a better recovery than they would have in the normal airline hub system? Or do you think that has any impact on the hotel industry? I think there are two, two different questions in that one statement, Pedro. If you look at where, where we've seen some real success stories, and I use, you know, United States is whilst they've been traveling, some of the... What what what's been difficult at the moment is New York, Los Angeles. What what's boomed is Palm. I think Palm Springs is the fastest growing airport in the world, and Jackson Hole. No, I wouldn't. Okay. I have no idea where Jackson Hole is, but Jackson Hole is a, is a ski resort. No, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but it's not 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 for skiing, but the basis of people want to go to nature. People don't want to be in cities. But saying that, if if then what 
the UK is putting out that come the end of June, we can go back to concerts, we can do everything. Why would you want? Why would you not want to go back to cities? I think you know there was a okay. buzz to go to the country when cities were closed and we had all of this concept about social distancing. Are we are we saying that? When everybody's vaccinated, we're not going to go back to cities. We don't want to go and talk to people. We don't want to go and hug people. We only want to go to Jackson Hole and Palm Springs. We don't want to go anymore to L.A. I don't know, because I think it was a situation that airlines were, were, were opportunistic. I'm not going to fly to L.A. if there's no traffic, but Jackson Hole, Palm Springs was booming. So the amount of traffic that was being rerouted was, was quite uh, significant. I can't see that coming. You know, once we've gone through this pandemic, are we not hoping to go back to a little bit more that we were doing? So that's part of that. The second part of the question is about where will airlines end up? Yes, there has been a vision about flying longer. Um, and of course, what we were and, and Qantas were starting to look at flying London, Sydney, London, per London, Perth. They were already were doing. They were studying London, Sydney. And with the A350, with the 777, these routes can happen. The question was, did passengers want to spend 16, 17, up to 19 hours on an aircraft? Or did they want to go via Dubai, spend a couple of days and then travel on? The models were kind of a little bit of both. Some people were saying, no, let's start going direct. And when the pandemic killed it, hit in... There was all of a sudden, oh, nobody will want to fly over hubs anymore. Airports aren't safe. Everybody wants point to point. But again, the same thing about if cities will open, airports will reopen. It's kind of, I think the model from an airline's point of view, it's where the demand will be. And if people want to go over a hub, they need to be there. If people want to go point to point, what the hardware is doing is opening up potentially secondary airports to secondary airports where you have less Right, that's, that was my point, actually. That's a real, I mean, that's a game changer for a lot of people. And that's a huge opportunity. You know, if you, if you put a, a pin in London or Lisbon and drew 10 hours, you could start flying from London to Dubai, Lisbon to Dubai, Lisbon to New York on a single aisle aircraft. That is, that is a huge difference from where we've okay. come from. And that, that, you know, tourism and destinations together and then obviously with hotels supporting that, you can think about whole new opportunities. So, you know, in all of the doom and gloom, the hardware changes also can bring some opportunities. Yeah, the, I mean, the other thing as well, you know, Gavin, hotels have been consistently concerned with the impact of flight restrictions on travel over the last 12 months. That's a very consistent theme in, in the report that uh, Pedro and his team put together. Um, what do you feel like, what are your expectations for air travel when government restrictions start to finally lift? Where do you feel that some of the barriers uh, may be for commercial airlines uh, before international travel can return to pre-COVID levels? It's it's uh, integration, the whole you know the journey experience, working with the airports. You know we talked about IATA, our in, uh, industry association, having a passport to allow that you can share your data inside an app. Emirates, I know, have signed up for that. Portugal has signed up as a government to be part of this project. So there are different entities signing up. It, it needs everybody to be aligned. The, the, the IATA passport is just the way that your you know your your system, everything is stored in an app paperwork so a little bit like we have now with pre-clearance to make sure you know you're not on a no-fly list is that going to be the same if that can all be done quickly easily it allows airlines because i think one of the challenges is that again if you're talking about hubs we we need transfer travel 
to be re-engaged. And the last thing that airlines want is, is two, three-hour queues in airports to do all paperwork, et cetera, because that means planes won't, won't be connecting with each other. And the, we call it block hour, the block hour of an aircraft. You know, so it can only be flying so many hours. If, if you start delaying flights because of situations and procedures, the model of aviation will be challenged. So it needs integration between the different stakeholders, associations, institutions, and align that together. And you know, as long as the demand can be back, as I've said, the, the supply hasn't really changed. It's actually right. adapting the supply to new yeah, realities. Yeah. yeah. In terms of locations, what, what do you feel will be the first locations to recover when it comes to flight capacity when these restrictions have lifted? I think le leisure, as we've said. So, you know, north-south here in the, for us who on the line in the northern hemisphere, <laughs> you know, it's normal in, in the summer. I think some of the big trunk routes, so of course the transatlantic, when that can restart the into Europe, North America into Europe, Asia. I think, you know, Ch China was the largest outbound travel market in the world at the end of 2019. It, it had overtaken the US. So the question now is, you know, what's happening there? Because... They've been quite open domestically, but they haven't been very open internationally. So, you know, it's like a tsunami when the Chinese borders would reopen. But the, the Chinese airlines, and we know, you know we've not heard any bailout. China Eastern, China Southern, no. and Air China are the big three. Hainan has gone, as you know, they've just declared no. bankruptcy, probably will be assumed by Air China. So there, probably what will happen is it will, the China strategy out will be China driven because their airlines are ready. Their airlines are ready. They just haven't been able to fly because there's been an, a no outbound strategy. So maybe Lufthansa, KLM, Air France, which were doing big strategies, United, big strategies into China, maybe they won't restart as quickly. Air China, China, East China, Southern will do the, the job of the international airlines to get the Chinese travelers out of the market. Mm. Okay, excellent. The, I guess then the other thing is how will airlines respond to the spike? in demand when the restrictions are lifted because clearly that's uh you know yeah, they're gonna have to bring all of these that. things i mean yeah and and maybe let me just interject gavin because we do see the patterns of pent-up demand in in the system right so when there's good news we see more reservations when there's bad news we see less reservations right and it's clearly there's a people are following this stuff and they're just itching as you were saying it's the north south you know vacation holiday thing and and uh so, so what's going to happen there? I think it's an excellent question, Andre. Yeah, I mean, the, the, I think as I said, a lot of the, most airlines now have done they, they've restructured, so they've they've done their plans. You know, in terms of what aircraft they've taken out, which aircraft are now taken out long term. So, if theoretically, even though they may not be flying, they know that they've got X numbers of wide bodies, X numbers of of narrow bodies. So, they're kind of the the, the network planning is done. They just don't know where they can send them until borders reopen. And they know how many pilots, crew they need relative to those planes that are stored. Of course, if, if something now happens and they can't, they're going to have to have another look again. So they're ready to go. Planes need, they need probably two to three weeks to get planes moved from deserts to airports. As you know, mm. you can't, it's very difficult to store an air, storing an airline or an aircraft in a normal airport. The, it's not good because of corrosion. 
You know, that's why you put a lot of them in the deserts because you need dry, otherwise the wings will have corrosion and there's a lot of things that, you know, they're very technical. You know, they may look steel, but there's a lot of technical instruments inside that, that, that uh, need to be stored well. Um, so it's getting them things back up, you know, and I think it's, as you say, it's, they're there. If the demand is there, the planes will come back. What, mm. what will be interesting is that maybe in the past, airlines was, you know, you were working... What are we now? We're, we're February 21. You're studying now summer 22. At this, we're sitting here in February now. The IATA summer season starts at the end of March. Most airlines haven't got that summer schedule planned. So we're talking about not even, we've not even planned summer 21, and it's two months away. Mm. We should be planning summer 22. So the whole model of how airlines work and the way they have to post into the airport slots, maybe what's there's going to be a huge change between airlines and airports. Flexibility. I can't fly to London. <coughs> I'll fly to Paris. That's got to be the way the air. So flexibility for the airline is going to be crucial because they don't want planes sitting on the ground if they can try and put mm. them. So planning is going to be, you know, we were a very traditional industry. We planned one year ahead. I think. <laughs> Industry works yeah. enough. No. These tour, tour operators, they were even more because they had to print brochures. They were like 15 yes. months in advance. And cer certainly we see, actually, it's, it's a good point you, you have there. I, I wanted to make actually another point, which is, okay, so, and while all this is going on, uh, our hoteliers are telling us that they expect people to start to dream more because rich media, we've, we ask a question every time, which is, uh, what are your marketing priorities, right? And and the hotel website has been consistently ranked number one as their priority for the next 12 months. But what we've seen over the last few months is that actually rich media has come up. And I'm not sure, this is my interpretation, obviously we don't have the raw data to say this, but I do think that people want to show videos of their hotels and of their destinations. It's going back to Gavin's point of people want to go back to cities and they want to go back to nice restaurants and talk to people and meet other cultures. So, so I do think that there's, this is sort of an interesting nugget of information from the report, but I, I do think that there's, there's something here. The other, uh, the other point that I wanted to make, let me just go up here a little bit. Is, While is you're doing that, Pedro, here. let me just quickly yeah. make a reminder for everybody to please ask questions in the comments section as we're going, and we'll we'll put them to Gavin and Pedro as well. So please don't be shy, folks. Make sure you get your questions in. Sorry, Pedro. And, and, and just just going back to this point, I think there's there's a little bit of a touch point with 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 airlines also, right? That you know when we ask our hoteliers, you know what's important, and what's not important. For the next 12 months obviously the direct channel is very important that's a trend that's been in airlines forever right um and then staycations which is sort of interesting because that's again trying to capitalize on the local market maybe not so much in in, in airlines but certainly contactless technology right and i do think that the experience that we have with airlines nowadays that basically we don't touch anybody we don't talk to anybody and we just go to the gate i i do believe that what gavin is saying in terms of the airport experience being safe uh, a lot of hotels are also thinking about that and how can I make that, you know, safer. Um, I'm not sure about sustainable tourism and airlines. I think that's a big issue. I don't know if you have a comment on that, uh, Gavin. You know, what about the whole flight shaming and everything that was going on pre-COVID? Do you think that's going to come back with a, with, a, with a vengeance or it's actually going to be toned down? What, what do you think? It was, it was getting, it was, it was, um, 
a worry from an airline's point of view because it had become very topical, particularly Scandinavia. There was you know, a lot of carbon taxes being um, aligned. Of course, from an airline's point of view, remember 2018, 2019, we were booming. Business was growing significantly and we were flying gas-guzzling 25-year-old aircraft because there was demand. You know, I'm not picking now on Lufthansa, but Lufthansa was flying A340-600s on routes like Bangalore, Seoul, Los Angeles, because there was demand. Now they're not going to be flying. Those have gone because they realized they don't want those in the new normal because they're too expensive to be running. But when there was... So from the point of view of an airline, you know, we, we, we were... We were flying a lot of rubbish relative to what could be coming in the next years. And this is this is what you would hope that now, yes, we're going to be a lot more fuel efficient, which obviously by default, we're, we're high, much better in our CO2 emissions. So, But it's a little bit like anything. This is the last thing an airline wants at the moment is people talking about carbon tax um, because it's the last thing that, you know, the cash burn is so bad at the moment that, you know, more taxes is just going to cripple an industry that's that, that that is that is not well. It's not well, you know. Yeah, yeah. We know that. Of course, a lot of people have said, you know, maybe it was a good time to shake up the industry a little bit more, and maybe that will now happen. And as I said to Andre's question before, this will be the next the next one to two years of will there be mergers? Will there be takeovers? Will there be more consolidation? I think there will be. It's normal. Um, from the basis that uh, yes, there was, there is too, there had been too much capacity for sure. If you look at the North American market, there were just too many seats. And what then happens is that we are fighting on fares, fighting on on reducing our yield and losing money, and hoping that we made money at the front of the aircraft and lost money in the economy seats to basically run the flights. If the business class isn't coming back, we'll have a lot of challenges in terms of the transatlantic market for sure. Okay, great. Let's get on to a question from um, a viewer. Jerome has asked, Tourism Economics recently published an article showing that in China and Europe, 70% of the population will be vaccinated only by 2024 and 25 at the current rate. Ooh, that does not sound good. So do you think recovery trend is, re do you think the recovery trend is realistic? Well, yeah, that's, uh, oh, wow, 24, 25? Yeah, no, so... What I would say is absolutely the, the current pace in Europe is very slow, but we've also seen that where vaccines have been readily available, I think there's been a little bit of vaccine hoarding uh, going on right now in the US where a yeah. lot of the production is and certainly in the UK. Yeah. Uh, and therefore, in the countries that have had, you know, massive access to vaccines, we've seen great pace of vaccination. So so I do believe that as production improves and also distribution improves, that we're going to see sp speeding up, at, certainly in Europe. Um, we don't track the Chinese market, so I don't, I don't have any data on that. But I, I would expect that in during 2021, we'll get to some very significant vaccination milestones all across the EU. That, that's my yeah. expectation. Yeah, I, I would expect that as well. I think obviously it's been slow. I mean, I know in Germany it's been slow. Um, people here are complaining about that. But I think um, within at least within the next six to eight months that it will start to have a much more it'll be a well it'll be a more oiled machine in that sense. They'll absolutely, have absolutely. A lot more uh, uh, processes clarified. Okay, great. Another question. Um, is from Rita. Uh, Gavin, do you expect any consolidation in the LCC areas? 
And how do you explain that there is really no global carrier equivalent to Airbnb or Priceline or other large OTAs? It's an interesting question. <laughs> on, on the second part, it's, it's the challenge of bilaterals between governments, 51, 49% ownership problem. So it's, it's nearly impossible for a global airline to be created because of, of where would it be listed. You could probably say that the biggest or the two largest global airlines that were nearly created was Emirates, Etihad, and throw in Qatar as well, because where they what they tried to say is that Emirates said within, they were in the A380 days, there were two flights from anywhere in the developed world. So Dubai connected New Zealand, Auckland to um, Seattle, from New York to Buenos Aires, over the middle. So Emirates probably had become the global airline on the basis that Dubai was the center of the world. And with an A380 going 14, 15 hours each way, you could connect, as they said, two points of the world. So I think yeah, the 4951 is going to be the challenge because in that way, and obviously what we've done to get around that is basically create alliances. So Star Alliance, um, which is mainly United and Lufthansa agreements, the situation of One World, which is the BA American Airlines relationship, and then obviously the Sky Team, which is Air France, KLM, and Delta. So that's been our, that's how airlines have tried to get around the governance rules by merging through alliances rather than through shares. On the low-cost model, I think it, it, it's got to the stage where you don't want to be that big. There's a point in which becoming too big, the model distorts. And, and Ryanair is a good example of that. You know, why has Ryanair not started to fly from Europe to North America? It's the largest airline in the world in relation to profitability, but it's not flying on a route which some say they should try. The argument is no, because that would need another set of aircraft and that's another set of projects and focus on what you do. So I can't see low cost. If you get too big, you end up then that you don't have the, the economies. There is at the moment the owner of, of Frontier Airlines, Wizz Air and Volaris in Mexico. It's an American fund. So they're, they're holding three of the world's largest low-cost companies in a fund. What that allows them to do is go to Airbus or to their lesser and say, I'm going to buy 500 aircraft under three companies. What deal can you give me? So rather than low-cost buying each other, what you're starting to see is low-cost becoming owned by a fund that then can procure for that fund in a much better way than if a low cost bought each other, if that kind of helps to explain the question. So getting a low cost getting too big, you actually defeat the, the great work of Michael Porter and cost leadership and the 1980s competitive advantage books that some of the older people in the audience would remember from the business school <laughs> years ago. But you know, that was the mentality. If you want to be a cost leader, don't become too big because at some point you don't become competitive. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, I, Pedro, you've got some slides. I'll come to those in just a minute, but we just have yeah, no a, problem. a 
just came in from Tiago um, to both of you gentlemen. Do you believe the US airlines will bet in the European market as soon as next May? And should the hotels in Europe bet on the US market for promotion and publicity to be the first to catch those in that international market? That's a pretty good question as well. I wouldn't bet on the US market in, in all of 2021, to be very honest. Yeah. You know, I've been going back and forth a little bit and between Europe and the US. And uh, I, I do know that a lot of people want to travel, uh, but I do see some serious obstacles in that happening with quarantines and, uh, and basically, uh, you know, Europe first opening up to other European countries and putting the US on the back burner because of this sort of perception that contagion can come from abroad, new, new, you know, new variants, this, that, and the other. So, so I, I, I would not bet on the U.S. market, and we need to find alternatives to U.S. markets. And that's why I think the idea that Gavin was sort of saying that with these, uh, you know, smaller, more fuel-efficient planes, we can open different routes, point to point. Say, you know, Berlin to whatever, right? In the, because Berlin is obviously not a, a huge hub in Europe. Uh, I think that that's that's probably a better strategy to diversify, you know, the message that goes out to Europe for hotels in 2021 than actually focus on on long haul markets. But I don't know if Gavin agrees. So, Gavin, I, I if I if I look from an airline's point of view, if I'm sitting in Chicago or I'm sitting in Dallas, um, I need transatlantic. You know, De- Delta's lucky because they have a very very big domestic project. United is an international American airline company. They need flights to, they need, they need, you know, they, they, they got to get their flights up and running. The same for BA, you know, BA is massive revenue on the North Atlantic routes. So of course the airlines will put them there. It's will demand follow. So right. you know, I think they're going to really push international travel between North America and Europe because you know, I'm just saying so that's good news in a way, right? In, in a way, that's good oh. news because if they're going to push it and if they're competitive pricing wise, maybe you know, even the demand will We've got Jet, JetBlue has just started. I mean, they've delayed it now, but JetBlue is is, is embarking on the strategy of, of Boston, New York to London because they're betting on the, the UK market being opportunistic for the North American market. So, you know, this is a new carrier. JetBlue hadn't been hadn't flown to Europe and you know, they, they, they've got this new A321 long range with a new Mint, what they call Mint Business Class project. It just got launched last week and they're ready to go, you know. So yeah. between them starting, United American needing, BA desperate. Okay, Lufthansa is also very strong on Air France, you know. they. If they don't fly to North America, they're not flying to China at the moment either. <laughs> yeah, good point. Yeah, yeah. So the the slides up on the screen now, Pedro. What did you want to highlight from that? So those? I just wanted basically because it's, it's a bit of doom and gloom here, even though the last sec- section here was, was not that much. And and I do believe that you know we have to focus on what, what's positive. And if you look here, what we're looking at is direct website desktop direct website mobile, and then all the other all the other channels. And this is actually, I think, up to date to yesterday, I believe, that this right. data we're looking at. And really what right. I wanted to show is actually, what I wanted to highlight is obviously we've been talking about this here on this 
on this on 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 this on these sessions for a long time that direct has been performing better but i, I just wanted to highlight this little tick up on on the orange line here which is actually mobile is the only channel that grew from january to february which is not done yet right february is still going on but it's already got more bookings and more nights booked on mobile in february than in than in january so it just I, I wanted to highlight just a, a positive thing uh, that's still happening, and you know people should really think through you know their mobile strategies as hoteliers and and how can I reach these people that are on the mobile and making bookings because I do believe as we have discussed in the last couple of uh, sessions here, mobile has been growing dramatically. I think you know this this pandemic has changed consumer habits. It's gone on for so long that I think these are going to be permanent changes in consumer habits. And therefore, you know, mobile is one of them, you know, domestic tourism and this sort of um, 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 look for the nature is another one that I, I do believe is going to stay here. Um, and let's see what happens with airlines. Gavin, what do you think is going to change permanently with airlines from, from the last year of so little flying? Well, I suppose, as I said, it, Let's go back to 2019. Other than the the issues with the um, the situation about uh, sustainable and green aviation, the industry was it's been growing five six percent year on year. The the industry was ready. Uh, the new new aircraft were being developed. There was this model about trying to do new single aisle aircraft flying further. A350, 777s flying longer on distribution. The, the, you know the kind of the jury was out. Do there was a lot of work. Airlines have started to push, and it's very interesting for hotels, actually, about what we've been doing here. Airlines were developing a concept called NDC, New Distribution Channels. Yeah. They were trying to get, one of the big areas of aviation was to try to sell ancillaries. Yeah. Low cost had done this. right? Unbundling and then trying to sell that. If you try and sell ancillaries, OTAs just want price. So if I'm an airline placing in an OTA, all they want is price and time of flight. You get to the top of the fold on price or if it's a direct flight. They don't want to get to sell ancillaries. That's their model. They're volume drivers. But of an airline, why they developed NDC was to try to open up the internal back office platform of an airline into a travel agency and basically give a travel agent the equivalent as if the customer, because when you're a customer booking on a website, you can get into the ancillaries. The airlines are selling you the ancillaries at the touch point, but on the GDS platform, ancillaries were not being sold. And on OTA platforms, ancillaries were too complicated for these internet systems. So the NDC situation was to get the airlines basically a, an intranet site between the airline and the travel agent. So when the customer comes into a travel agent, basically that travel agent as if they're a Lufthansa Salesforce. And really yeah. pushing that. And that could be a huge opportunity for the hotel sector, how to try to really push ancillaries. And how do you get people buying ancillaries through online and offline? And, okay, and right. Actually, the, you, 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 it, it's interesting you mentioned that because one of the trends we've seen, certainly in the last three months, I guess since November, is this push to vouchers, right, and gift vouchers, because obviously the industry is suffering and cash flow is, is, is king. And, and, and I do believe that, you know, travel vouchers, gift vouchers, all that stuff that, 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 that you know, typically hotels would not get into selling direct. And even airlines, I, I don't see any airlines doing gift vouchers, but, but, uh, but I do believe that there's going to be a trend of this sort of 
prepay and get some benefit when you spend it later on because uh, you know the cash needs to flow for these businesses to stay in some reasonable shape and we 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 work with you know a certain amount of customers and one of them which has a a, a group of 65 hotels said that they 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 sold hundreds of thousands of euros uh in vouchers in January with a logic of you know promote your local businesses contribute to your local to your local economy so I'm not sure if that's something that we're going to see, you know, stay on a permanent basis, but certainly it's something that we can do in the short term to try and stimulate some demand, even though it's only going to happen in the future, right? The travel. Yeah. Okay. Another quick question from Diego uh, in relation to actual uh, uh, air aircraft. Um, what do you think uh, of Boeing using the 737 MAX in Europe? Have you got any concerns about that? I think people say it's, it should be the safest airplane in the world by now. Um, <laughs> yeah, makes sense. But you have concerns. Clearly, at least your body language is telling us that. No, no, no. I, I'm not a, I'm not an aviation safety expert. I, I, I would fly it. So, and I used to, uh, I used to fly once or twice a week. So, I would get on it. Um, okay. Brilliant. I don't see any issues with it. We are uh, coming close to the end of, of time, um, but I, I do have one other question I'd like to put to you, Gavin, that um, I know from, from a hotel perspective, it's been, uh, it's been a challenge, especially here in Europe. Um, and I know it's the same with, with airlines. Typically, obviously, for many airlines, survival through the crisis with low cash flow has been very, very difficult, as it has been for hotels. Uh, some governments have provided aid, like guaranteed loans, paid wages, capital injection, airline subsidies and even tax relief. And, and that has also been the case for hoteliers, for, for some hotel groups and hoteliers. Yeah. Uh, some German hoteliers may totally disagree with me and I think they would be fair in doing so. Um, of these though, however, which approach specifically for airlines do you feel has worked best? Um, and what's had the greatest value? And where do you think, uh, or what, what, what's, where is the learnings from that? So if we were to have another crisis, how, uh, what, from what we've just gone through, what learnings could we learn about the, um, I guess you could say, bailout programs? I think, that, you know, if we look at what one airline, and I'm, I'm not pushing this airline because I'm a shareholder, <laughs> Ryanair was one of the only airlines that didn't ask for a bailout. Why? Because Ryanair owned its aircraft. So its cash burn was significantly lower because it could park its aircraft and not have to renegotiate with its owner. Those airlines, that, the other end of the spectrum, that were heavily growing during the last five years, on a, you know, aviation leasing had become very trendy. You know, Dublin and Singapore had become global aviation hubs. Most of the major banks were involved in aviation leasing. The Bank of China is one of the biggest owners of aviation. Through, we've now learned that because of all the problems with Norwegian um, and who was actually the owner of, of their aircraft was through the Bank of China. So what that then says is that maybe airlines were growing so quickly because there'd been a new market. In the olden days, airlines bought aircraft directly from the manufacturer. What you've now created is a middleman. You've got the manufacturer sells to the lesser, the leasing organization, the bank, and they negotiate with the airlines. That's given That's airlines ability just to keep growing. Let's get yeah. more and more aircraft into the system. Or what you could, what you can call really, we're like a virtual airline. I don't really own the assets. I've got a website right. and I've got right. cabin crew. 
and pilots. Mm. <laughs> it sounds and, very similar to the management model. And, and so, what, yeah, models. maybe what we've done, you know, we, we, we've, we've, we've inherited a monster, which is we were growing so fast that every, whilst it was working, everybody was happy. The lesser was happy. The manufacturers are happy. The airlines, yeah. okay, the airline stocks haven't been great for the last few years. We know that because there's been a lot of discounting to fill seats. You know, airlines are up and down. It's a cyclical industry. But what reality says is that we grew quickly. So from the point of view of what airlines have had to do is, is request support from governments to basically help pay to keep them alive. Because, mm. you know, that so many of that, of that money was needed. To, it just shows that when an airline doesn't fly, it really is not, you know, the models were not right. We, were, we, were, we have too much of our costs associated in, with assets and with those assets are not being utilized, that then says the reality in the future is that you don't even own aircraft. What There was a, 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 in Canada, there's some discussions about creating a virtual airline. Basically, you have a website, and, and then I lease aircraft when I need them. So you don't know if one week it's going to be this aircraft or one week it will be another aircraft. The crew will change. There's plenty of third-party airline companies out there, and I don't have to ha worry about their costs. So I sell tickets. If I sell enough tickets, I can fly. Right. Interesting. So I don't know where that comes back to your question. Your question is about what can we learn? You know, maybe we just grew too quickly with, with very yeah. expensive hardware. And the same in hotels, by the way, right? Where people were leveraging revenues to get bank loans, to get another hotel and so on. So I think the parallelism is absolutely there, right? There was just euphoria in the market. We knew that there would be a correction. We just didn't expect it to be this violent, right? Yeah, I mean, like, like just, like, three of us are probably not, not dissimilar age, but we all remember 2020, 2020 and we remember 2001. Everybody talks about September the 11th and the impact on our Yeah, industry. sure. We lost in the year 2021. The industry went down 3% in RPKs, revenue per kilometers, 3%. This year, in, in, tw in 2001, 2001, we, which is the worst year ever for airlines, we lost 3% of our revenue per kilometers. This 2020, we lost 66%. There's only, been three, three, there's only been two other years we lost, which was when we lost 2%. The year of wow. the 2005 financial crisis, um, eight, sorry, and 91. So we've lost Amazing. in three years... And then we lost in 2020, 66%. The other times we'd only lost 2 or 3% on our RPKs, meaning that we weren't growing our industry. Yeah. Well, on that positive note, Gavin. This <laughs> 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 perspective, why, why would you do bailouts? Yeah? The only way is up, right? As they That's say. right. And, and I do, I, I do want to, just to end on a positive note, right? I wanted to highlight that Gavin said, Airlines are ready. The capacity is there. The staff is there. If the demand is there, they will fly. And I think that's a great takeaway, even though, you know, it's a bit doom and gloom. But to know that there's pent up capacity, that's great, because if there's pent up demand, then we can recover a little bit faster than, than those. As much as I can, as quickly <laughs> If you read if you read the book, the guy that turned around Continental is called Gordon Bethune, the, the U.S. before it was sure. by United. He wrote a book where he said one of the famous quotes was, airlines don't have reverse. We can only go one way. <laughs> That's right. <funny. laughs>
<laughs> why airlines, airlines have to be pushed. We don't have reverse gears. You know? <laughs> we don't go backwards. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you, Gavin. Thank Pedro, you. thank you. I'd and like to know We'll be back. <laughs> all very much. We, we greatly appreciate it. And until next time. Yeah. Stay okay. safe. Thank Bye -bye. you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.